Everyone's a fruit and a nutcase. It keeps you going when you toss the cable. Whatever you are doing, punting, canoeing, is nutritious and pretitious to judiciously be chewing. Happy Sunday, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the Museum of Comedy podcast. This week's guests, presented by Museum of Comedy and Robert Ross, are Trevor and Simon. Thank you very much. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Although it's Trev now, isn't it? Uh, well, Trev, Trevor, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah it's... You, you, you explained this to me Mr. the other Neil. week or something, that it's Trev, as in Trev and Simon. Yes. But when he wants to be the kind of, oh, I'm a writer, then he becomes Trevor. Or an actor. <laughs> yeah, an actor or Trevor writer or is Trevor. I don't know, yeah, although, just... although my wife Zoe came up with a new nickname for him that I don't think you like, really. because she's oh, called God, you, which one? She's, she's called you a few times now. Which one? Well, we were messing around with the idea of, like, Will I Am, and we thought he should be called Trevor R. <laughs> so, I think that's good. So Joey likes calling him Trevor. Trevor. I used to see when I was younger, I thought Trevor was kind of cool, Trev. I don't know. And then when as I got older, I just thought it sounds like someone trying to be young. So then I've sort of gone back to Trevor again. So I don't know, but Trev and Simon will always be Trev and Simon. Absolutely. Okay. Does that well, make sense? Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. That's a very long answer. To and it. also, I, and I've always been I've, I, just for the record, I've always been Simon. He hates Sai. If, if people call Cy. me Sai, and some people do. I just have to kind of inwardly think, okay, because I know they mean well, but a sigh I don't like. You see okay, what an Simon. aggressive man he is. Uh, I have to inwardly <laughs> think, okay. I prefer sigh. <laughs> sigh is okay. So, so welcome to the museum. Um, How does it feel to be uh, museum exhibits now? It's quite exciting. Yeah, well, yes. Do we, are we allowed out at the end, or do we have to stay here? <laughs> You're going to be stuffed. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> That's in the pub later on. There we go. Um, but no, it's good. I feel like very honoured, to be honest, because um, I think I was saying to you earlier, quite often because of the kind of telly we did, we get called presenters sometimes, whereas it's nice to be actually referred to as comedians and to be in a museum of comedy. We're in the museum it? of comedy, and then the other highlights for me is we're also on the um, carpet, the comedy carpet of Blackpool. Which is a, quite a thrill. I don't know if any of you know about that, but there's a there's a, 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 at the bottom of Blackpool Tower they've created. They call it a carpet, but I think it's made out of marble, isn't it? It's stone and it's massive, and it just contains every British comedian over the last hundred years or so and catchphrases and stuff like that. And years back they approached us and asked if they could put one of our catchphrases on there, um, and they did. And they, I think it, it's got we don't do duvets yeah, on. Yeah, I think it? so. Yeah, that's it. That's an honour as well. And, and I've still never been to see it. No, I haven't. I've seen it. I've seen it online, virtually. and and, and, and rightly deserved. I was saying before that I mean it's such a thrill for me and, and people of, of my generation. And you know, you you are legends, and and you meant so much to us. I was probably a little bit too old for you. I was I was more sort of studenty, and I would maybe wake up on a Saturday morning with a raging hangover and put you on to sort of come well, down a bit. You, know? you see, we were aware that was good because we were we were slowly made aware as, as the program went on that there was an audience of. A huge variety of age groups, actually. There was an audience of kind of obviously the, the target age of the programme for children, which was, I think, was it like sort of. It's tricky, eight, isn't it? Because the, the target age, yeah, the like target that. age for Saturday morning live TV <laughs> was then young. was slightly different from the target age for what is now like CBBC and CBeebies, because they were aware that there would be adults watching as well, because it was a Saturday. Um, but yeah, I think it was meant to be sort of that. Yeah, it was, yeah. so there know. was the parents, and then there was the grandparents, and then there was the students who were kind of, uh, um, well, they were just maybe just getting up or just getting in from the night before, I don't know. And there was, so there were all kinds of kind of different people watching at different times, and, and therefore we started to kind of do, try to put in like something for everyone. 
Which... I, I think our boss, I don't know if this was true or not, but he said, like, earlier in the morning, the younger ones were watching. And then as the, you know, it was a three-hour show. By the end of it, all the older ones were up. So there was a kind of tendency to make the very first... Uh, we used to do about, was it five or six slots throughout the morning? Yeah, So like that, yeah. Um, the first sketch would always be the most, uh, you know, I don't know, visual... Child friendly, yeah, it was. You we know, used, yeah, for very young people, colorful and uh, simple. We used yeah. to, um, like, <laughs> like, just like the rest, really. To be honest, yeah, yeah. Well, what we used to look forward to was that was what we called the grandstand slot because that was the kind of last sketch before the end of the program. And then you knew, and just by the statistics, that was the biggest audience were there then, and it was the biggest crossover of adults and whether football fans, you know, kids, pop fans, whatever, everyone was kind of watching at that time. So we always used to try and save the, the best for the end. Were, were you given a, a remit or, or guidelines that you couldn't? tackle certain subjects or was everything pretty much fair game it came about week by week really yeah. we'd, we'd kind of come up with some ideas and we'd put them in and essentially you'd be told if you could or couldn't do something i mean we tried to use our own common sense as well but there wasn't much of that around um, <laughs> and also we were only we were kind of 25 when we started so we were kind of i don't know like 25 year olds we didn't really always yeah, know what we... was best um and uh, there was our, our boss, Chris Bellinger, was fantastic, actually, because he did let us do stuff that he'd take a gamble on. And every now and then, uh, considering we did, we did the Saturday morning stuff for 10 years, and I think it's less than one hand the number of times where we effectively either got told off or were told we couldn't do something again. I think that, uh, off the top of my head, the one that sticks out for me that is funny is we did a thing called Art House, spelt um, the house part was spelled H-A-U-S, and we played a couple of avant-garde German art critics. <laughs> as you would, um, on a Saturday morning. <laughs> with the most bizarre look as well. And it was very surreal. Most probably not many jokes in it or anything. And we quite enjoyed doing it, but just afterwards, Chris came up and he just went, never again, boys, never again. <laughs> Incidentally, boys. We, even you said boys earlier. We're in our 70s. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> There's a thing with comedy writers, and they're, they're always referred to as boys. Golden uh -huh. and Simpson are still boys in their 80s now. So that's, that's nice. That's that's good. I like that's it. Good. <laughs> I don't think we ever did anything that was too... We, I, I did get told off for being a bit rude once, but, uh, and that was uh, sort of unintentional. And now, since I've had my own kids and everything, I do wince a bit about some of the things we said. But it was never kind of... It was always meant like kind of... Um, well, it was all fairly harmless, really. Oh, but the, the worst, Jimmy no, the, thing. I, the Jimmy Hill was the worst thing. But that was unintentional. Well, I wanted to, uh, for some reason, I was being Jimmy Hill that morning, and I said, "Can you make me a, a false chin?" You know, it's like exaggerated Jimmy Hill chin. Cause Jimmy Hill did used to have quite a prominent chin. So when I came uh, into the makeup room that morning, someone had made this. It was very cheap, low budget kind of stuff, and people did, literally we get, we asked people to do things either like ten minutes before or whatever. So this prop was. Uh, it, well, it was just very phallic. It was this big, long chin, a bit very pink and sort of bulbous, and it kind of just looked, uh, it looked obscene. And um, so anyway, I, I kind of wore it innocently, and I'm Jimmy Hill, ha, ha, ha. And, uh, and then I think Philip Schofield said something like, oh, you know, that's an interesting chin you've got. And I said, oh, yes, it's a, it's a very um, important club for people who have chins like this. It's members only. <laughs> and I, di I, di I just... I thought that's not, you know, unless you know, I don't know, I just said it anyway. And then, but very quickly the boss came down, he, stood, he said, never do that again, never say that, you'll be recorded if you say jokes like that. Oh, again. and the and other go. one that you did, I'm sure you did this, was, uh, uh, I, I was going to say a live sketch, they were all live pretty much, um, was a kind of campaign that Blue Peter were doing 
to raise money for uh, baby incubators. And we were asked to do this sketch that promoted the whole thing of raising money for these incubators. And, I, and the script had been handed in and everything. And then I think I'm going to blame you for this. I think it was Trev. Probably was. Me. Went off script at one point and just went, shouldn't the government be doing this? See, but Which it wasn't awful. a joke. I admit it wasn't a joke, but I, just, I had... I had an audience there and the rebel in me just thought, right, there's three million people out there who ought to be told. And so I said it and then I got told off. <laughs> but, um, but, yeah. but just told off. It wasn't like sort of, you know, weren't sacked or anything. No, 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 no. Yeah. Again, if you did that thing again, I'll record you, you'll be recorded, you won't be able to oh, do it live anymore. Oh, that was the thing, anymore, yeah. You know, the, the, so. There was never a threat of sacking. There was a threat that <laughs> I apologise to Chris for do, making we, him sound like that, by the way. <laughs> we couldn't do live sketches, yeah. They'd have to pre-record all of our stuff. But, you know, we're talking about Two or three instances throughout ten years. And you, I mean, how how much was it scripted and how much was it sort of uh, improvised? I mean, obviously we started. We did. We did have a, a kind of rough script. I mean, we were given an idea at the beginning of the week what the program was going to look like. By Friday, it's usually completely changed, and all the guests had changed. So we we soon learned not to write anything until later in the week. But we did have a kind of rough idea, and and for sketches with guests, we would have a kind of loose script. But we then obviously had to then kind of talk it through with them in the tea bar about 10 minutes before they did it. So it couldn't be anything too too challenging. Um, so And also they had the kind of, you know, they sometimes you would try to get the script to them earlier in the week and it wouldn't get to them through no. their management or whatever. So the first time they saw it would be at that point. And, you know, they were well within their rights to go, I don't want to say that or I don't want to do that or can I do it like this? So, you know, we they would be sort of changed last minute sometimes. And they weren't necessarily actors either, were they pop stars or presenters or whatever. So they're being thrown into a live show to do a comedy skit with you two professionals. That's Professional actors. <laughs> well, we <Yeah>. weren't either. <laughs> That's the thing. We didn't have a clue. We were making up as we um, went along. So, I mean, we did. We had been to like we did drama at university, but we didn't really have any practical like actor training or anything like that. We were interested in showing off. That's about what we learned, really. <laughs> I was going to say, I mean, that's that's when you first met, wasn't it, in Manchester? Or, yes. yes, yeah, yeah. So Manchester take university. you back to that first meeting when your eyes met across a crowded room. <laughs> what, what happened? I can't remember exactly the first time we met. We, I remember the first production. We were in a student production. Was that together. the pantomime? It was the pantomime. Yeah, Trevor was a. Uh, it was it was a weird pantomime because for some reason and you were a squirrel on a skateboard. I was. I don't know. It was a community pantomime. I don't know what the, um, the premise was for it. But yeah, I was in a squirrel costume and I did come in and on a skateboard. I was, a, was I a butcher or something? You were, yeah, uh, or grocer, I think. Grocer, okay. Yeah, and you were really into, um, your catchphrase was something around Vimto and meat potato pies, or at least that, that's all you shouted. It's I a think. catchphrase that hasn't survived. No, it's, <laughs> it's not one of the most well-known panto <laughs> catchphrases. <laughs> but, <laughs> Um, so that's with that, yeah, and then, uh, yeah, and then shortly after that, we were both uh, cast in a uh, a Moliere play. I think it was a Moliere play. Was it a forced marriage? Sounds very grand. Doesn't um, it? And and I was running to uh, rehearsals one day, and I went flying and flew into a, a concrete bollard and cracked a couple of ribs, and I was able to carry on, but like it was really painful. And so like throughout the whole rehearsal process, if I laughed, it caused immense pain. And Trev used to always try and make me laugh. <laughs> 
<laughs> and I succeeded a few times, which was quite good. <laughs> but it was good working on that. We sort of found that we kind of made each other laugh, and we we uh, we had to kind of ad lib a lot of kind of the business with you as it because it was a double act play basically, and so we worked out all kind of silly props and things we could muck about with, and we just it sort of developed from there, didn't it? Mm -hmm. The idea of a, a kind of double act. Although there was a whole bunch of us doing comedy because the whole alternative comedy thing had just taken off really, and it was uh, the young ones was on telly and um, and all these people you see on the wall here were all kind of they'd just come out of Manchester University drama department as well so we were kind of really excited to be there because suddenly we, we, our, like um, our, our uh, tutor uh, university was David Mayer who went on to become the professor there and David Mayer is the father of Lisa Mayer who was one of the co-writers of The Young Ones and at the time was going out with Rick Mayle and uh, David was really good at kind of trying to get us to do comedy he was really supportive of us and he said, at one point, he said, uh, come around to my house because uh, Rick's going to be there. And Ben, Ben Elton, uh, you know, old people who'd been at Manchester a couple of years before us. So we were really excited. I mean, really, we were watching really the young ones on TV, which incidentally, we didn't have a TV. We were students without a TV. So David would uh, video record them for us in his office and we'd go and watch them there. Um, and we thought, God, we're going to get to meet them. And we were, well, we'd have been about 19 or 20, wouldn't we, at that yeah, point? Yeah. And we went around to David Mayer's house, which was scary enough anyway. We'd never been to his house before. And there was a big kind of rumours going around about his house that none of us knew if they were true, which was that he had a three-headed shower <laughs> that was one rumour. Do you remember that? <laughs> no, I don't remember that one. <laughs> I don't remember trying to find out either. But. And he also had a Picasso. And so like, there was this thing of like, oh, we'll have to try and get to see this Picasso, which we never did. Because basically we went into the house. We were in the kitchen and it was a knock-through kitchen dining room thing, wasn't it? With a small wall yeah. in the middle, a yeah. kind of low-level wall. And we went in there and... There was uh, was Ben there, I think yeah. Ben and Rick and there were a couple of other friends, mm -hmm. and David didn't do anything like he didn't sort of go like oh Rick and Ben this is Trev and Simon or anything like that he just kind of plonked us in there we sat down with them didn't know what to say and and then he said to Trev I'm just going upstairs will you keep an eye on those. Steaks. <laughs> he asked a student to look after the steaks in a fancy steaks, house. I didn't even know what the I didn't know what a cooker looked like. They were, they were on the other side of the room in the cooker, it's doing whatever steaks do. We'd most probably never cooked a thing at all. We hadn't. No, we had chips and curry sauce. Is what and we did. Yeah, from and the you chip went shop. to look after the steaks, didn't you? And then it, yeah. they caught fire. They caught fire, and then the alarm went off, and. Um, so we felt, and still they didn't know who these two idiots were, that, you know. <laughs> so, um, and then to try and make 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 amends, we, we'd been shopping that day in our favourite kind of 50p shop. Which Ooby -doo. Was, yeah, which is, it was now pound shops, but then they were 50p shops. And we'd bought a whole load of rubbish, because basically when we, we used to work out our comedy shows, we'd buy, go and buy rubbish from the 50p shop and then create an act around what we'd bought. So we had like a clockwork spider and things. And while the, the alarm, smoke alarm was going off, we just thought, oh, well, look what we got anyway and we got out the clockwork spider and uh, it didn't really endear, endear us to them at all I don't think really but um, it was, it we was got really away a with a few it. days later we then met them again <laughs> at the on Monday nights at the university you had a kind there was a theatre where all the students could put on their act and that's what that's when we did this thing with all the clockwork spider and blah 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 and they came to see that and then afterwards they chatted away to us and they went ah we see we didn't know we didn't know what you were doing there you know it's nice to meet you and that was when um, Rick Mail, which was fantastic he said to us uh, we were going to go off to Edinburgh at one point and he said you can use a quote on your posters you can say my favourite act 
So we had this quote on our poster saying, my favourite act, Rick Mayall. And then you'd wander around um, Edinburgh looking at all the posters and you'd see there was a band on it. say, my favourite band, Rick Mayall. <laughs> <laughs> That's still still amazingly cool though to have Rip Mail. Sort of yeah. No, it was, yeah, yeah, yeah. We went crazy with all this stuff with our promotional material. We had um, little uh, books of matches made, <laughs> which, which had like my favourite act Rick Mail on, <laughs> and we had little bookmarks my favourite act. We just went, yeah. You know, one thing, sorry, okay. just one thing that Trev reminded me of talking about that, saying about going to buy the props at Ubi Doo. One of the weird sort of almost like philosophies or policies we had. And this was when we started off doing comedy. I it, didn't, it didn't survive once we started doing TV. But for some reason, and I can't quite figure out why, we had this thing of you shouldn't make a prop. If you make a prop, it suddenly becomes theatre. And comedy is more about what you find. So all the props we had were things we could find and buy, uh, you know, find in shops and buy, mm. or even find in skips, whatever. They had to be kind of things that existed that you then made funny. It was almost as if you had a thought of something that was funny and then made it as a prop. It wasn't quite as pure. It was a weird philosophy. You know? <laughs> oh, I like that. I think uh, for hundreds of years we've been trying to work out the difference between comedy and drama and you've just done it there. Look, <laughs> you know, buy your props, don't make them, is the difference. But I was, I was going to talk about the spiders and things. I mean, what was the act then? What, how did you use the spiders? Just oh, well, then, well, I mean, we'd, 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 we'd tend to break them mainly. We'd smash them up. Um, there was a balcony, wasn't there? And we dropped a huge boot. We'd found this huge prop boot somewhere. And we dropped it from the balcony onto the spider and the spider smashed to pieces. And Rick Mayer loved that. Yeah, yeah, it was an anarchic crazy, wasn't it? <laughs> and also, like, we, 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 I think there was, we bought a little musical plastic uh, set of musical instruments. And, um, and so we did a thing uh, where we reenacted The Who singing My Generation. And then because they were little plastic instruments at the end, we smashed them up. <laughs> so it, uh, that, was quite, that was quite a good we one. Did, that did, was almost had did, a punchline. One, 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 one of my <laughs> favourites that we did was... Uh, um, uh, we did... Thing. There were all these kind of, I, I can't try to, to place this or make sense of it. We did something called Honest Jesus's Car Repair Shop, didn't we? Yes. And we had a little, we bought... Well, it was recreating an advert, wasn't it? It was where all yeah. those people running to. I, didn't, I think it was part of that sequence yes. in our first live act. We, you, I don't know whether you remember, we're going back a long time now. It, when you used to go to the cinema, the pictures or the picture house or whatever it was, and uh, they used to have a whole series of adverts at the beginning that were sponsored by Pearl and Dean, which used to go ba 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 And they used to have little local adverts um, for the local Chinese restaurant where they'd show you a picture of what was the food on the plate and things like that. And um, and Honest Jesus's auto car workshop, I think, was one That's of the right, local yeah, ads. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, that was a long-winded way but to get we around. Did buy, we, we went to, again to the equivalent of Ubi Doo and we bought, for our Edinburgh run, we bought about 20 of these plastic cars for where are all these people running to Honest Jesus's car repair shop. Just because the sketch ended up with us getting our big hammer and smashing them to bits. So we just regularly used to break all of our props. We did, we? which was a, when we went to do uh, our first show in Edinburgh in 1984, uh, um, we, we did an hour show at midday and um, we, ha we just took so many props with us and we had to take replacements for everything we broke and we were there doing a three-week three run so I think we had like hundreds of toy cars in the flat where we were staying or lots of little figures anything that was broken we had to have a replacement for so it's mm -hmm. so you were the Devilfish Horn Club Yes. Yeah. Well, see, that was that yeah. name came about because all the props were out on the floor, and we had devil horns. We had a club. There was a plastic fish, and well, that's how we came up with we, the we, name. We, we come on. We come on at the <laughs> beginning of see. the show with our, with devil horns on and little devil trident. 
And we'd skip around in a circle and very sort of coyly sing, 666 is the number of the beast. 667 is the number of the beast's next door neighbor. <laughs> And that, which <laughs> nine nine now, nine is but, the number of uh, the police. Yeah. <laughs> but <laughs> and years later, I realised, of course, that the beast's next door neighbour would actually be at six six eight, wouldn't it? But you know, <laughs> don't spoil don't. the joke now. Come on, <laughs> bring that back. Um, so, so how how was your Edinburgh? Was it was it a successful um, time for you that year? Or, or it was yeah, actually. It was. We did really because it, well, we were doing uh, uh, yeah the first show we've ever done. It was. Um, it was before, obviously, it had taken off to be such a huge festival. Well, I mean, it was massive at the time, but it wasn't quite the kind of big commercial thing it was now. But, we, yeah, we rocked up at twer- midday. We had a show for an hour at midday in the Bedlam Theatre. And it's, it was probably not, not a lot bigger than this room, really, was it? Maybe a little bit bigger. Yeah, but bit bigger, but, um, but, yeah. but we, we managed to sell out, and, um, and, and we, didn't, um, we didn't lose any money, which was incredible for the yeah, first... That happens <laughs> in Edinburgh. I know. I think it cost us. I think it cost us about um, two thousand pounds or something to put the show on, and uh, we'd been (laughs) in that lucky position of my nana dying. (laughs) In other words, I was left a bit of money, (laughs) and so that we were able to kind of fund our Edinburgh show, Um, and yeah, and we made the money back. Actually, that that may have been the second year we went, so it was maybe less than two thousand. We were very. I mean, we were lucky that people. I don't know. A kind of word of mouth thing kind of happened, and that that helped us get a bit of an audience. I remember um, uh, Phil Nice, who worked with Arthur Smith in Fiasco Job Job. He came along and was very complimentary. And um, there was a few other kind of you know big big name alternative comics at the time that sort of were. Oh, and then uh, Jeremy Hardy stopped us in the street one day. And we'd, I think we'd met him because we'd done a BBC Radio 4 radio show, hadn't we? Where we'd done about two minutes of material yeah, or something. Yeah. And he'd been on it as well. So we, we sort of had met each other through that. And he stopped us in the street and he went, I should warn you, there's a comedian going around and he's saying, you nicked his act. And we were going, what? Who? And I won't, you know, this comedian, um, he was saying, because we did this Pearl and Dean cinema routine, he was saying we'd nicked it from him. And we never knew him. And he did do a, you know, it turned out he did do a routine based around uh, um, the cinema. But um, we kind of didn't know what to do because he was quite a scary comedian. And so we got a mate of ours who's another stand-up called Simon Bly who had come along to Edinburgh at the same time. He's a kind of black belt karate guy. <laughs> so we got him onto this comedian and it, it, he kind of sorted that out. But this comedian, anyway, to jump ahead, about 20 <laughs> years later, I met him um, because I went to a jongler's gig with Simon, and Simon said, oh, this comedian's going to be there. And I went, oh, all right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to confront him now. <laughs> so 20 years later, I met him, and he goes, oh, hello, hello, and we say hello. And I said, yeah, you're the guy who said we nicked your act. And he went, oh, yeah, sorry about that. I was mad then. <laughs> <laughs> still doing the same act, though, was he, 20 years on? <laughs> you still punched him anyway, didn't you? <laughs> Of course. <laughs> Not really. Well, was, was there a sort of uh, a call about coming from Manchester, obviously, because of the, the Ritmail Association, had, like there had been with Cambridge and Oxford over the last 15 years, 20 years prior to that. Was there a sort of Manchester vibe in comedy then? Do you think? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And I think, I think there was also a kind of a feeling of it being, if you like, an alternative to that. It was nice that, I mean, it's still coming from university world, but it was, you know, 
Um, we were massively motivated by the, the fact that they'd been there before, weren't we? Yeah, yeah. It was it was very exciting. Um, it was just it was because it was a bit like you know the whole kind of punk of comedy was happening, and um, we just thought we, you know we want to be part of this really. So, uh, but we yeah we, the the kind of the, there was still a very kind of small alternative art scene in Manchester. So when we finished university. Um, we were kind of doing as many gigs as we could, but it was sort of going around the same kind of audience. And, and that's when we thought, well, we better get down to London and um, give it a go. And uh, mm. you were a bit reluctant at first, weren't you, obviously, because of being a Manchester lad. But I, I guess, well, I mean, I, yeah. I, Which is fair yeah, enough. I, I can't remember back to how I kind of really felt about it, other than maybe feeling a bit like you're sort of somehow betraying where you've come from or whatever. Um, but we had no choice, really, because there was about two or three venues at most in Manchester, and there was just no work. And, you know, we'd been told in Edinburgh as well, when, when the show had gone down well in Edinburgh, people had said to us, if you ever come down to London, let us know. And so we did eventually move down to London, and we, we did a few <laughs> gigs on the circuit. We were never really, to be honest, we weren't suited to the circuit, I don't think. It was like, it was a bit, it's a bit too aggressive, maybe, for my style. Um, and also, it was hard as a double act, wasn't it? It wasn't, we were not great on the circuit. But. No, I mean, we, we did okay, but it is a, it's a challenge for a double act if you suddenly get a really um, lively audience or an, or an audience that kind of gets not necessarily aggressive, but if you get, a, you know, a particularly drunk audience and you've got to take on a particular person or something, it's harder for a double act because you you inevitably not that we're necessarily always scripted but you definitely have a kind of structure you work around and once that breaks down if you're suddenly just arguing with a, <laughs> a geezer at the back of the room it's sort of you know the double act goes a little bit really it's also hard so, if, you're, if you're two people on stage and you're trying to ad-lib something and you're both ad-libbing at the same time and you're crossing yeah. over each other yeah. and whatever. there'd be yeah. ways that that would work that would always work really well when we were doing our live tours because then it becomes a different thing because at least when you do a live tour at least the people there have come because they do want to see you and then when things go off the rails, usually that's fun, isn't it? Yeah, 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 good, yeah. Uh, no, we had a lot of fun there because, like you say, people came along knowing what they want. But you still had nutters in the audience. We had like a pro we were doing the the barber characters, and uh, they I can't remember how the the joke went, but they'd given up doing barber shop perms, so they were doing pizzas now or something out of the. So, but we had a big prop um, pizza made of polystyrene, and. Um, and a guy came out of the audience and joined in and, and started eating the pizza on stage, which, which was made of polystyrene. No, I, I mean, even it if was... it wasn't made of polystyrene, the whole joke, because they used to be barbers, is it was covered in hair. So even, you know, on all levels, he shouldn't yeah. have it. Yeah. Very strange. So, so how, how did you get the, uh, the TV break then? And was there someone in Edinburgh talent scouting? Was that how it worked? It, it was a it was a bit of luck about uh, we we were um, we were working we, we were we were friends with uh, another double act called uh, uh, Rabbit and Dune Dune went on to be Dune <laughs> Dune Dune McKicken who's working with us um, again now in the new thing we're doing uh, Strangeness in Space which yeah. I'm sure we'll talk we'll about later, that later but, on yeah. yes and and Anne Rabbit is a, is a writer and performer as well so she, anyway they were they were mates of ours and they were doing a, a double act thing and they I think they'd heard about this um, Saturday morning show that was looking for a double act and they were doing something on ITV at the time um so they they were quite happy uh, and said hey, why don't you go and find out a bit more about it so i, I can't quite know anyway a producer came along to see us at the chuckle club on Tottenham, just off Tottenham court road which was hosted by a guy called eugene cheese and um uh, he, he, he was a great uh, supporter of ours, wasn't he? he yeah, to yeah. The, chuc the Chuckle Club was, nice. was the 
the one place we went down well in terms of... <laughs> no, not the one place. <laughs> it was... What I yeah, mean is... It was the it one was, place it was, we did all right. It yeah. suited us. And <laughs> I think Paul, Paul is Eugene Cheese, his style suited ours as well because we, we were more visual and slapstick and knockabout. I think, you know, it, it wouldn't have worked at the comedy store. <laughs> no. So um, that's... Anyway, yeah, so a producer came along and saw us and then uh, said, oh, come in and speak to... Um, uh, my boss and uh, and I was I think at that time we were sort of supporting our income because on, on the comedy circuit then you'd get a split of the door and we were sort of in a room like this upstairs in a pub and you'd probably go home with a fiver if you were lucky so it wasn't something you could really live on much so I was um I think we were both doing different jobs. I was working with a, a mate who, uh, who was a builder. So um, I remember being in South London, do, working as a builder, and I got on my bike and cycled to, uh, to uh, White City with this tape, videotape of our act in, my, in the hands. So I got in the door... And um, and we played him this video, didn't we? And um, I wasn't with you. You know why so was that? That I, was well, weird, I'm guessing wasn't it? I was doing whatever my day job what was. What was your day and job? I then? kind of I was getting work from Manpower. So some days I think I I, I did some work at the Colombian Embassy, <laughs> sitting on the door of the Colombian Embassy. You never thought you'd uh, hear this, did you? Today, <laughs> <laughs> what Manpower jobs? And <laughs> go on. Sorry. I, uh, no, it just made me think of another thing about that. That, that I kind of. Uh, I'm going to tell because it is funny. <laughs> oh, no. They're like, we, we, um, I worked as a doorman at the Colombian Embassy. And the reason for this is that the main guy had taken sick leave because he'd had some kind of a breakdown. And also his son had been arrested and was in prison. You know, it was a really sort of terrible situation for this guy. So they had to get stand-ins. And so I was doing it. And also the, the guy I've mentioned, Simon Bly, comedian, he was doing it as well because we shared accommodation then. Um, and we'd work different shifts. And we kind of leave notes and daft things for each other to kind of entertain each other when you turn up for work. And Simon would draw kind of these fairly obscene cartoons. <laughs> he drew one uh, one cartoon that he left for me, which was a kind of... I, can't, I don't know that, I should say. It's fairly... You've got to now. Uh, well, let's I've put it this way. It's I've... along the lines of what Cameron's been accused of doing. It was something along those lines. So, uh, But it was a dog, not a pig. Um, and, and he left this cartoon for me. And then I went to work. And, you know, no, nothing was there. And then Simon said, did you not see that cartoon I'd left for you? I went, no. <laughs> and it turned out that the the guy who normally worked there, he'd found it. And he did eventually, he sort of gave it to me, but God knows why. It's not a very good story, really. <laughs> it's, just that this, uh, it's just this man who'd had a breakdown found this cartoon. <laughs> a very perverse act. <laughs> Edit that bit Anyway. <laughs> so that's why you Meanwhile, I was at the home of children's yeah. television <laughs> saying, look, we've got a funny show here. Um, and uh, and so we had half an hour's material, which was on tape, and uh, the boss, Chris Spellinger, watched it very kind of, you know, um, quietly, and then said, yes, that's very interesting. There's probably one joke in that half hour that would work on our programme. And that, that... That was the egg and spoon. <laughs> it was, yeah. That's where we had, again, props from the 50p shop. We had a plastic egg and a spoon. And then we'd put it on the ground and go, we're going to have an egg and spoon race. And then we'd go, come on, come on, come on. Come on, come on, come on. Come on. And... <laughs> That was that. Anyway, that was the we thought we're not going to be able to do that. Ten years out of that. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> 20 minutes for every show, uh, whatever, you know. Um, 
30 weeks a year is not going to stretch. So uh, we said, well, no, look, I think we can bring our sense of humour and that sense of humour that <laughs> works. I said, honest, we can we can make it work. We'll, we'll take that sense of humour and we'll, we'll cut out the political references because we were doing quite sort not hard line political stuff, but some political stuff and some, there was a little bit of we swearing did, and yeah, things, but, we but not... a whole not, routine that I can't remember now at all, but it was during when basically the governments were first trying to tackle... Uh, the AIDS kind of crisis yeah. and we did some kind of mock government campaign all about that so yeah the, I can't remember that at all it was most probably kind of quite well, we sincere were, and not very funny well I the think. thing is we were daft so we were, we were trying to tackle kind of very kind of serious subjects in a really silly daft way with silly props and silly gags but it was for an adult audience because we were doing pub comedy you know it was no we weren't we weren't aiming our material at children then anyway but we said look I think we've got a silly enough sense of humour to make it work and because it's a family show you know maybe our stuff will work for older people as well and, and he believed it he took it <laughs> he went for it <laughs> so um we, so we, yeah. we yeah we then went through a series of auditions actually that where we had to kind of one of which involved sort of bringing us in with sort of philip schofield just seeing how we'd all interact with each other and everything and then eventually we got the job i mean i mean for us that was amazing it was astonishing you know to be able to say to our friends we're going to be on live saturday morning tv and also, we kind of, we foolishly thought, and we're going to be rich. <laughs> and, you know, and I think we, we were in, in our first year of doing Saturday morning TV, we earned £157 a week. <laughs> so we didn't get very rich on it. But, um, uh, and also, the other thing that was quite bizarre is we assumed we'd got the job. And then we did it. And they said, oh, it's for four weeks. And it was like, well, what happens then? And they go, if, it's a, if you're any good, we'll renew it. And for about, for about the first few months, we were on a kind of monthly trial. We were, we? and they so. were bringing in other people as well, weren't they? Having other little uh, other people who'd auditioned, other double acts were doing little guest spots as well. So if they were any good, it was like... Oh, well, yeah, you know, it was kind of quite threatening, you know. Yeah. But eventually, and I think also the team got behind us on this, and they sort of said, you've got to make a commitment to them. And we got sort of more backing, and then we knew we were kind of in there. Mm -hmm. I mean, how, how close were you involved with the production team then? Um, that uh, you would bring sketches to the table, you know, as a tonal meeting or something, or were you just bowl up on Saturday morning? With no, a, and it, well, it was a quite full of props. Yeah, it was. <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> <laughs> I wish. No, they were quickly run out. The first week, the props thing was over. Then we had to start looking around the BBC wardrobes and whatever, or you know, makeup department, anything to sort of get ideas. But. Um, now the structure was in the first we'd write you know in the early days we would diligently write the scripts and 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 then of course there wasn't like email um, there wasn't even fax to begin with was there no, so we were about two or three years in they bought us a fax machine prior to that it was literally kind of a motorbike turning up at one of our houses to collect written scripts and get them back to the BBC. But we were still, you know, we were sort of, we'd gone from, from being students to doing like stand-up comedy in pubs where I'd said, you know, and doing odd jobs. So we weren't earning a lot of money. We, we, we didn't even have like proper paper to write scripts we on when we started. Pen. So we, did, we maybe did have a pen between <laughs> us. But we did write pretty, I think there was a point, I, I don't know whether it's now become a bit of a myth, but there was no, a it's point true. where we, we took wallpaper off a wall. No, no, wrote, we didn't take off a wall. No, that was, <laughs> that was in the student <laughs> flat but when we in the early gig we did rip some wallpaper off and wrote we a did, we on definitely it, I remember us writing scripts on the back of a roll of wallpaper oh right okay maybe that was it I remember ripping off the wall 
<laughs> and then and then we had to get the lino up and the yeah, yeah, that's it. The carpet towels. That was a good sketch on the back of that carpet towel. But yeah, so then they it would, we were in South London, so they'd send a taxi or a bike to pick up the carpet tile or the bit of wallpaper or whatever it was. Then it would go back. And then someone would type it all up and it would go into the script. And um, and then we'd turn up on a Friday and in a very kind of cold, serious production meeting, we'd have to read through. It'd get to the point where we go, and now we've got a Trevor and Simon sketch, you know, and then we'd have to read it. And this through. would be and this would be in um, a basement of the BBC, a basement meeting room with no windows where Trev would sit chain-smoking cafe cremes, <laughs> these little cigars. <laughs> Did I? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because obviously you could, you could smoke. In I say days. obviously. It sounds weird, doesn't it? But yeah, you would just be able to smoke wherever you wanted. And you did, you did right. smoke those little cafe cremes in a tin. Cool. Well, I, I tried them for a while. I as was well, a beatnik, you see. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, uh, the 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 week would be broken down with initially we'd go into the office on a Monday when they dissect Saturday's show and then talk through what was coming up. Tuesday and Wednesday we'd be at home writing the stuff. Then they'd pick it up. Thursday and Friday were rehearsals. Um, Actually, I think we used to only rehearse on a Friday. And then what happened, a few years in, we pushed for more rehearsal time on a Thursday in a rehearsal room rather than in front of the cameras. And also we pushed for a dedicated team for us. Because we never used to have... There was no one who could produce comedy. And we, so we ended up sort of doing it ourselves. And, I, you know, we were most probably not that sort of trained to do that. So we did kind of insist, eventually insist, ask if we could have our own producers and they gave us a little team, didn't they? Of David, yeah. David Mercer, who'd also been one of the guys who'd kind of pushed for us in the beginning and discovered us. Um, and we, found, we formed our own little team within the Saturday morning team so that all the comedy could be produced by people with some kind of idea of how to do comedy. Prior to that, some of our sketches had being not covered in the best way because it, with it being a magazine programme, a magazine programme tends to just do a thing of, if, if, if I pick up a glass of water, they'll cut to a close-up of you picking up a glass of water or whatever. You know, it's all showing exactly what. And sometimes for the comedy, you needed the bigger picture and you wanted someone who knew how to shoot it. Were there any of the, the now famous characters part of your stage act or were they all part of the, the, the BBC sort of uh, we didn't, experience we didn't do characters yeah before beforehand it was literally just me and Simon and the props really and um so the characters was a way of realising that we were going to get through an awful lot of material uh, if we didn't come up with something that had some kind of maybe a well, not necessarily you could repeat, but something you could had a bit of life to it that you could come come back to. And um, so we we did start to think, well, it, you know, uh, some kind of recurring character might be a good idea. And and uh, the swing your pants guys were the first characters, they were the first that, characters to do that. They did. Yeah, yeah. We yeah. got uh, we were doing a gig down in Brighton in the first few weeks of the show, and, and there was the, there was a big there was the I can't remember it was a the, the year was the, the big storm, storm yeah. the the storm, and all the trees were blocking the road, so we couldn't get back. Um, uh, immediately to, to, to do the show and there was a bit of a delay and in that time we, we literally started talking about um, what kind of characters you know could perhaps sort of be in this we were staying in a friend's house you know maybe we would be in this house it was a bit unfair on our friends that they turned out <laughs> <laughs> to be the singing corner but um, that, yeah so we kind of then we worked from there really yeah because we had we'd, we'd got about a, a 20 minute set that we would do around the clubs Um and you know, most comedians are in that position where they'll have about 20 minutes, maybe longer now, but, you know, one set that they would work on for a year or two years and then they may think of doing new stuff or whatever. And we suddenly found ourselves having to come up with 20 minutes of new material every week. 
so yeah, we had to we had to start wearing wigs. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, and it could, because so then yeah we knew they we thought well they'd be quite good because they're quite kind of big colourful characters they they on on the on the surface it'll look like they're doing like a children's kind of little ch children's program slot but we'll kind of put in some sort of gags and ideas that that are more kind of you know pop you know pop based or, or whatever. Um, yeah, and it just kind of grew as it was. I mean, it, it sort of speaks for itself, I guess. I mean, right? I was one of the people who bought. Uh, Jennifer Juniper, your single with Donna. Oh, oh thank you. You, the one. I was the one. Yeah. But it got to about number 60 61 in the charts. We don't forget. No. <laughs> 61. <laughs> yes, it was 61. Um, yeah. and, and Donovan's <laughs> now celebrating 50 years of recording with the new retrospective LP. And it's <laughs> not on there. It's not on there. No. It's a disgrace. <laughs> it's, um, Poor Donovan. Yeah, it, it, was a, it was a tricky relationship we had with Donovan. Yeah, uh, but I don't think he was at the best place of his career at that point anyway. And then these two jokers come along and go, hey, can we ruin one of your best songs, you know? <laughs> so, uh, no, it was kind of weird because our manager at the time said, you, sh you should do a, s a single. And we went, no, we don't, we don't want to do that because we thought it was all a bit, I don't know. I don't know what we thought really, but we sort of thought it was a bit of a daft thing to do. And so Simon said, well, we'll do it if you can uh, get Donovan to do it with us. And he went, yeah, all right. <laughs> and he and tracked it, him down. I think he, he was did. living in the, you know, the Joshua Tree, that kind of place on the U2 album, that's just where the, there's nothing there. He was living, he was hiding inside a cactus or something, wasn't he? <laughs> um, and yeah, and it, it started off the whole thing because then he was suddenly doing stuff with the Happy Mondays and everything. Um, yeah, but yeah, but he was uh, a bit bemused by the whole thing, I think. Um, you gave him his call back, you see, that's what it was. He suddenly became cool. So I remember watching, it must be 1990 that, wasn't it, I think? so. 25 years ago, does that sound Crikey, about right? Yeah. yeah. I, I, I've not seen this since. And I remember him being on the show with you and doing some sort of skit and him mentioning he would love to do anything about comedy because he worked with Benny Hill once. <laughs> and, and, and you looking completely shocked and outraged at that. <laughs> he but did say it. Yeah. Well, I like, yeah. you know, I, I'll happily take a weird connection to Benny Hill via Donovan. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's fine. <laughs> what, who, who are your heroes? Talking about Benny Hill, who were your heroes as, as, as kids of, of comedy? Were you, were you sort of... A, Comedy obsessives like like me. <laughs> well, um, I mean, I guess we both. Uh, when we started doing the double act, we we both uh, grown up watching Morecambe and Wise, so you couldn't kind of. And then, we, and I suppose, in a way, although we were doing it in character, that thing of involving a celebrity guest in in the middle of a double act thing was very kind of, you know, lifted from the Morecambe and Wise thing. I think. Um, but we had a, a mutual love of of double acts generally, like Abbott and Costello, or, or the kind of more kind of less. Even even know, um, in the you know in their day. And when I was younger, I was a big fan of Cannon and Ball, yeah. you know. And I particularly liked Double Acts where um, there was sometimes, there was almost like an edge to them. Like they possibly really did hate each other. You know, I think we were kind of quite fascinated by the fact that Abbott and Costello had a very tricky relationship off screen, you know. Um, we and used to do this sort of thing, didn't we, based around being an old Double Act and... Arguing over who got what percentage of money. <laughs> we did, didn't we? And we used to try and do uh, that thing of that aggression of of um, is it was it was it Bud Abbott who was the kind of more straight guy, the more aggressive I always, one. I, I, I always have to. Kind it was. Of yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and he really did get quite aggressive with 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 um, Costello and quite nasty. And so in our early sort of pub double act, we we kind of played with that a bit. I used to do. Um, a kind of spiel where Simon basically had to reenact everything I said, and everything I said basically meant him hitting himself in the head and falling to the ground. And we did this oh, relentless right. routine. It was, it was, it was acting out films. You'd start off listing films, 
And the films progressively became like Raging Bull, Rocky. And each time I'd have a pretend fighting ball over, and then it'd be Rocky 2, Rocky 3, <laughs> Rocky 4. And he was, Simon would literally throw himself into it, and he would whack himself really hard. You know, he wasn't ever pretending. So, and, and I would really straight and really, you've got to do this, you've got to do this. And uh, it was kind of, you know, we were mucking about, but it was. Uh, it's, well, recently I was watching some old clips of uh, one of my favorite comedians, and, and it's partly to do with a kind of regional thing I think but it was Frank Randall uh, I was watching kind of old clips of Frank Randall and the way in which he both had a kind of grace and a slapstick ability but at the same time very physical and very aggressive so when there's one clip on YouTube of Frank Randall and I can't remember what film it's from now but it's a dance routine and it's kind of in a ballroom and he dances with the, the lead lady and it it's just like crazy it's like falling all over the place and you know you can't imagine he couldn't have hurt himself you know he must have uh, so yeah, I kind of um, stuff that's quite ed not edgy, but you know, it was a bit edgy. I mean, no one would have known this in Edinburgh, but when we were doing that routine as well, Simon actually hurt his neck from doing it. And <laughs> during the day, he'd walk around with a neck brace on, and then before the show, he'd take the neck brace off and start whacking himself in the head again. That was his dedication well, that, to the well, show. Well, the other dedication, the other thing was the stupid egg trick. Oh God! Yeah. Which again, when we were on tour. We did, a, a, and this is good. This is, I think, this is why we like the double act thing. Trev would do an egg trick, and you know those kind of rubber eggs you can buy that have a handkerchief hidden inside them. So basically, you put the egg in your mouth, and then it, it, you know the egg turns into a handkerchief, and you pull out the handkerchief. Is that how? Yeah, 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 yeah. You worked and, it out <laughs> <laughs> after all these years. <laughs> and yeah. so, like, Trev would do that on stage, and I'd go to him. That's easy anyone can do that and he'd go okay you have a go then and then he'd give me the egg and i'd put an egg in my mouth and it'd be a real egg and so like it would go as i as i put it in my mouth it'd break so enough of the yoga kind of fly out like that and then trev would make me eat it all you know it's you know, well it was the idea that you couldn't make a mess in the lovely theater, the theater or on you know, the stage i you know, go so. you got to eat it all the shell mm. and everything so like, it would take me about 20 seconds each night wouldn't it just standing mm. there and you could hear the shell crunching as i crunch because i'd have to crunch the shell up small enough to be able to eat it now that's cruelty and I mean, you made me do that. Yeah, but you knew and that. Now, I didn't know, but you, you wanted you to made do it, it as well. And Trev made me do that during the whole Edwina Curry salmonella thing and <laughs> it's everything. True. It's true. <laughs> but you, yeah. you've, got to, you've got to suffer for comedy. That's the thing, <laughs> isn't it? I mean, Buster Keaton broke his neck, so you've got to sort of follow that, tra that tradition of things, you know. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I was a big fan of Farrell Lloyd as well, who, I mean, blew off his fingers, you know. <laughs> so, yeah. There was a point where we, we would argue on stage as well, and I would walk off and leave Simon on his own. And then he'd just be left there, and there'd be this kind of awkward silence where he just stood would there. Would that be when I do the ventriloquism? Yeah, and then eventually, well, you can describe what well, he well, you would, we, you know, again, we would like to push things, so you'd leave it as long as you could. Trevor had gone off, and it did give me time to, you know, I then controlled that time, so I could make it last as long as I wanted. And you just judge the audience reaction. And I would stand there just looking a bit perplexed, most probably uh, doing sort of Stan Laurel-type faces or something. And then eventually, I would... Uh, say I'll do some ventriloquism for you and I'd then slowly take my shoe off and then I'd take my sock off and I'd make it into one of those sort of sock puppets and then I go oh you know oh hello how are you but my sock puppet wouldn't talk back to me 
And, and again, it was great. It was a really sad, pathetic moment, wasn't there? You stood there with no, no sock on, just looking at your own sock and nothing coming back. It was, uh, it was great. It was real pathos. Is that the word? Pathos? It was, it was good. It was. So, so when, I mean, when did you know that you were a success on, on Saturday morning TV? I mean, was, was, was fan mail uh, flooding in or, or were you being stopped in the streets by kids and things or what? I, d I don't. It took a long time actually to. I think. Well, it was happening, but we didn't realise because basically, when when you're doing that show, uh, well, then you were in a very small studio with just the crew and a few kind of maybe friends, family. There was some. There were some kids they'd bring in as part of the audience, but they'd be brought in for about ten they were minutes, in and, out the and then they went back down to the basement with crisps and. and Orange and then you, get, then you get Marty Pellow on from Wet Wet Wet, and he'd be there, and he'd go, I'm not doing anything with any kids in the studio. All the kids would have to be herded out, <laughs> Marty Pellow hated kids. Yeah, yeah. So you didn't really get a sense of what the big world was like outside of there. And we were kind of locked into that show. So for a while, it, I mean, I was, um, I was living in uh, Kennington in, in a tower block at the time, and um, it was on... Oh, on, here, uh, for, for really comedy boffins here, you know, the... Um, what, oh, what's the name of the sitcom? The... Um, Oh, you mean... Um, uh, Sean Locke. Yeah, Sean Locke. Sean Locke did a sitcom called, is it 15 Stories? Yeah. Yeah? That's where Trev lived. Well, I was in one of those blocks. And it's also, it's in Doctor Who, isn't it? There's a, are there any Doctor Who fans in there? There's a, the spaceship crashes into them as well at one point. So it's a, anyway, they're iconic blocks. There's a Henry Moore sculpture in the, in the thing as well. I mean, they are proper architectural things anyway and uh, but anyway I, so I was in there and um, yeah and one of the, just I remember just going to the shop uh, after a few weeks and one of the lads the kids hanging around on the estate just nudged his mate and went he's a millionaire he is and I thought <laughs> god am I I didn't I had no idea I mean I wasn't but I didn't realise they did didn't they want what, to say something to you about where's your Rolls Royce they expected you to have a Rolls Royce yeah and then it got actually they used to, a TV centre used to send um a, a cab to pick me up Saturday mornings and one well, it was really awful one morning they didn't have a cab available and the only vehicle they had was a stretch limo <laughs> so they sent this stretch limo to this council estate in Kennington where I kind of got you know at that point no wonder he thought I was a millionaire you know it was ridiculous so at that mm. point it was, it was time to give up the flat and go but um, yeah and then, yeah, we said there was a yeah there was a there was they, they, they had a really nice kind of group of uh, people who did all the letters so the mail would come in uh, and you would have to put aside an hour or so every Friday where you'd kind of try and answer stuff or sign or they, they used to have kind of postcards made up for all the people on the show and you'd sort of spend a few hours signing all of them but um, the job of I think it was Val wasn't it the main person in doing the letters and her main job actually was to weed out any sort of inappropriate stuff which never can we never got any, but um, I think Sarah Green used to get Sadly. quite a lot of. Uh, <laughs> yeah. It was all mainly Sarah Green and then Zoe that Ball. That was pretty me. Zoe Ball, yes. He got Zoe Ball stuff. got. I've um, somebody once sent Zoe Ball a load of horse whips, <laughs> and they were all kind of there in the office. No one knew what to do with them. You know, they were. <laughs> that's what they said. <laughs> these are serious things. There was one that's like a kind of massive horse whip. There's about kind of five foot long and has this kind of flicky tassel bit at the end. <laughs> And I just said, I'll have that. And I took it <laughs> home. And my cats, Bobbin and Tess, they loved it. So they saw me flicking this whip and then flying around in the air. So. What an image that is. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, so was there a point, obviously you did it a long time, but was there a point when you thought, 
you wanted to move away from so-called children's TV and, and do um, other stuff, obviously adult stuff, I suppose. I guess there was, yeah. Um, yeah, because we'd gone in, I mean, whether it was like um, ideas above our station or not, I don't know. I mean, we, we saw this this Saturday morning platform as our kind of our Saturday Night Live. You know, this was our kind of hope to, to kind of do some sketches and, and we, we saw it, you know, as something... Not not just children's television. Not that we were belittling children's television because we enjoyed that very much, but we also wanted it to be a platform for for moving on. So I think we after a few years we we did um, decide to try that out, didn't we? We and, did. Uh, it, it was and it was tricky. I mean, we did. Uh, I can't remember what year it was. There was one year where we went up to BBC Scotland and did uh, Trevor Simon's summer special, which actually I think it's on YouTube, broken down into four parts. Uh, I watched it back not too long back, and I really enjoyed it. And it's still, it's very much in the vein of what we did on Saturday morning TV, but, but it was kind of a Saturday evening slot, so still family stuff. But it was kind of, nothing came of it, and it was a bit of a fraught process. Um, we eventually kind of got a show that was near to what we wanted it to be. But prior to that, there'd been a few difficult things. I remember at one point there was some rumour going around that um, Graham Brown, who was a kind of effects guy got in touch with us and he said, oh, apparently there's a kind of secret ghost script that they want to do with you. In other words, you know, we, we, we had to really push for it to be our script. They were trying to get other writers in and whatever, which could have been interesting, actually. But, you know, at the time, we wouldn't really contemplate the idea of doing anything other than our own stuff, I don't think. No, no, we were quite, I don't know whether it was arrogant or just sort of, um, we just wanted to give it a go, I suppose, before people, you know, before giving up and saying, yeah, okay. Although, to be honest, I don't know why we thought, because so many people have stuff written for them anyway, and it's a good thing. But we, we just wanted to see whether I we could... I think it was because it happened know, behind our backs and no one had said to us, would you consider or would you work with these people? The fact that it just sort of happened. Yeah. I think we saw it as a challenge. We just wanted to know whether we could stand or fall on our own material. And we felt... <laughs> no, no, we didn't. No, not at all. It's just, we did this one-off thing. And again, that didn't, that didn't go anywhere beyond it, this summer special. That would so have been 95, I think. So you went back to Live and Kicking after that, well, that's didn't you? So, I mean, but the, yes. You, you, well, the, the reason when we went back, actually, what happened there was we'd done... Um, we'd taken a year off from Saturday Morning TV to do this show for BBC Two called 100%. And that was really good fun. And then th they commissioned a second series of 100%. And we were writing it all over the summer. And then someone at the BBC made a big account an accounting error. And the BBC realised their sums were 20 million out. And they just... It, was, it made all the news at the time and everything. They had to just cancel loads of things that had been commissioned. So they had to cancel the second series of 100%. And it was really frustrating because we'd spent all summer writing it. Um, and then, you know, the, uh, in that time we'd had off, I don't think things had worked accordingly with the people they'd got in to replace us on Saturday morning TV. So they actually said, would you consider going back to Saturday morning TV? And we went back, and I think we just kind of tried to just change the style a bit, didn't we? So we had, was that when we well, it was when Transmission Impossible? Yeah, yeah. Like, so you're, yeah. you're more self-contained then, weren't you? You were like yeah. your, your own sort of show within a show, as it were. Yes, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because that then got a repeat. That would go out as a little 15-minute programme on BBC Two on Tuesday night, Friday nights, something mm. like that. Mm. Yeah. Okay. We we talk about. I mean, you, you mentioned uh, Trevor about the the the, the Morecambe and Wise sort of connection, and and there is a lot of that about getting celebrities' names wrong and, and misunderstanding who they are and what they do and whatever. Were you ever starstruck, or were you ever faced with someone who was really just impossible to work with at all? Uh, I was. We were always excited, even by just like the daft 
don't mean to be insulting, but any pop stars that just, if the moment came on, you know, it was very exciting. When big celebrities came on, of course, it was ridiculous. In the early days, we'd only been doing it about a month or so, and uh, Paul McCartney came on, and he came with Linda and the kids. So they're there, and I, I was really nervous, and I knew... I knew that it was up to us to approach people and introduce ourselves. But you feel kind of... And so I sort of went up to him and went, oh, hi, and was on the verge of saying, hi, we're Trevor Simon, we do this, blah, blah, blah. And he just went, I know who you are. And then, and then we were chatting away to them, and then the next minute we were doing autographs for his kids. So I think Stella McCartney most probably has our autograph somewhere, I think. Um, <laughs> or not. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I do. <laughs> but that was amazing. And then I, uh, from a comedy level, and a few years down the line, Mel Brooks came on as a guest. And so we were thinking, like, God, we can, we're going to get to do a sketch with Mel Brooks? And uh, we wrote this sketch, which had him as a big Hollywood producer, and we were pitching ideas to him. And this was rehearsed very last minute in his dressing room. And we've got our earpieces in, and we can hear them calling for us on set. And we're still in the dressing room talking it through with him. And we've got all of his lines written on big boards. And Andy Peters is back on live TV saying, oh, they should be here any minute or whatever, and covering. <laughs> then we race onto the uh, floor and do this sketch with Mel Brooks. And I like to think this is a good thing. At the end of it, he said to us, congratulations, boys, that was very nearly a sketch. <laughs> Something like that, didn't it? Yeah, that was, that was good enough <laughs> for me that. anyway. <laughs> <laughs> it's a, a, I think it's a thing that's missed on, on TV now. And a friend of mine was at the... Uh, Radio Times Festival just this this last few days, and and Russell T Davis said to her that he thinks there's a gap for that Saturday morning magazine show, and he actually quoted, "We don't do duvets <laughs> as, oh. as the thing that, that that sums up the whole sort of ethos of that." So I mean, uh -huh. so get him on board for the the new project because that's uh, that's quite interesting. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. uh, I mean, obviously, he's a, a a major sort of TV nerd as well as a mover and shaker. So I mean, that's, yes, that's, yeah. yeah. And and we're and now we're moving more into his kind of world because we've been doing this. Uh, uh, podcast that with which has Sophie Aldred in it, you know, from Doctor Who. So you must mention that because it's a, a crowdfunded thing you've been doing called Strangeness in Space, which is mm. very exciting. I've heard the first two episodes, um, and tell me a bit about that. Um, well, uh, this came about because we uh, go back a couple of years. Um, we had a 30th anniversary uh, reunion at university. And it was Claire, our manager, who's there. Hello. <laughs> and Claire suggested uh, we should do something with Sophie because Sophie was a Manchester with us and we were all friends together. And we tried to think of, we thought that was a good idea. What can we do? Well, Sophie's kind of known for doing science fiction. We're known for doing comedy. And we, you know, we've always liked science fiction. So we came up with this uh, sci-fi comedy podcast called Strangeness in Space where the two of us um, and Sophie and a robot called Lemon are stranded in space. Um, yeah, it was, I mean, great. All credit to Claire for saying, look, look let's have to have a go at doing this project. And so we said, well, how are we going to do it? Well, it's going to be crowdfunded. And I had I had no experience of what crowdfunding was. and I didn't know how it would work. Um, and she basically explained that it would be done on Twitter and Facebook. And I, just, I thought that was kind of funny because, I mean, I do Twitter, but I'm not very, you know, I'm a bit kind of... I don't know what you. I'm not very dedicated, I guess, and uh, and so I just couldn't see uh, initially how this was going to happen. And then, within two weeks of basically four of us um, saying on Twitter and on Facebook, we're going to try and raise money for this project, we'd raised uh, nearly was it nearly twenty thousand pounds, which we, was we so you know beyond our target, which was fantastic because it meant we were able to 
part fund episode two. We've since uh, managed to fund all of episode two, and um, we've we've also written or started writing episode three. Um, anyone listening to this here or in the future, if you want to help fund episode three and four and beyond, you can do. Um, just have a look at our website, strangenessinspace.com. Um, the title's an interesting thing as well, isn't it? Because we were kind of trying to think what to call it. And we, years ago, we've got loads of things kind of knocking around where, you know, scripts and ideas that have come to nothing. And we had this script um, for a kind of daft comedy based around weird characters uh, in a little seaside village. And that was called Strangeness by the Sea. And uh, we just thought, well, let's just have a strangeness <coughs> world. You know, we can have Strangeness by the Sea, we can have Strangeness in Space... And are there any more? No, there aren't any more, but that would be quite good. That would be enough. Quite a limited (laughs) (laughs) We don't know yet is the answer. (laughs) There will be more. Like any writer, you all got stuff in the bottom drawer that you want to sort of pull out and and dust off. He's got whips and things. (laughs) (laughs) Zoe Ball's little things. (laughs) But we were talking before we came on that you you actually haven't written the whole series then. You're going to organically just... just Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, we have kind of, oddly enough, I think episode three is likely to take us back in time because we decided... Um, this always makes me think of a bit from uh, an M. Night Shyamalan film Um, (laughs) don't make me say that again (laughs) Um, one of his good early ones Um, uh, Unbreakable and watching the DVD extras and there's a scene in it where it's a good scene and it got cut uh, and they were saying to him, why did you cut that scene? And he said, because I felt it was time we got to the races. And I really like that as a phrase. And what we did with Strangeness in Space is we wrote three episodes, all of which set out how we end up in space and what happened and so on and so forth. And then when we came to launch, launch it, we thought, you know, we need to get to the races. So we decided to hit the ground running with us in space. And now a few people have said, so how did you get into space? And it made me think, well, let's go back and look at those episodes. Because they're funny episodes, you know, we can get stuff from it. So I think we're going to mess around with the time frames a bit with the future ones. Um, It's kind of just how it worked. Because it came together so quickly and we kind of just thought, let's just give it a go. It wasn't like we'd we'd sat and kind of plotted a big story arc and a kind of whole kind of way the series was going to go. We just had a basic kind of rough outline of of how we wanted the format to work and what would be the central characters. so we just started writing and it wasn't until maybe kind of, I suppose, yeah, three, three episodes in, we just thought, well, it, it would be more fun to just start with them there and we'll look back and then on eventually how they figure there. things out I mean I've not told Trev this yet because it only happened the other day but oh. I've started episode 4 hey, hey. oh that's good <laughs> and, um, like and, that. and without giving too much away one of the things that kind of inspired me there was uh, I'm really looking forward to seeing The Martian and I was thinking the, the reality of this is that you know, the, in the film, he's on Mars, uh, and they have to go and rescue him. But because it's Mars, it's going to take them four years to get there. I think that's the kind of science of it. Right. So it just made me think, Trev and Simon and Sophie in space, they are at some point hoping to get home. How long is it going to take them? Yeah. How long is it well, going to take anyone to get to them? Where is planet Mirth? It must be further away than Mars. Y- yeah, but they go, uh, don't, don't forget they go to sleep. For a bit in the hyper freeze pods. Oh yeah, thing. That, no, no, so I know are you that. Following this, but okay, what so I mean okay. is, what I mean is, the idea at some point it's going to st- strike them that actually it's going to take them God knows how long to get back home, yeah. if ever. Yeah. So episode four could be a bit grim. Yeah, it could be. It's meant to be comedy. I, I saw. Um, I, I, I'll start again. I saw. Um, is it Prome- Prometheus? Oh I saw yeah. that this week, and I hadn't. Has everyone, has anyone seen that? And. Um, 
it's good because it basically means you can just make the same film over and over again. So we can do that with Strange in Space because it is just Alien, isn't it? But just slightly different. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Pretty much the same story. I really liked it. All, but it, all, all we are planning, even though even though it's audio, we're, we're going to plan to do one of the audio uh, episodes in 3D. Yeah, that would be good. Yeah, Fantastic idea. You can all get to wear the glasses anyway. <laughs> I was going to mention, obviously, Sophie still plays Ace from Doctor Who for Big Finish on audios. Was, was, yeah. was she happy? Obviously, she was happy, but were, were, to, to almost send up that image you know, for you, was that, was that, a, was that an easy task? <laughs> we don't know you better ask her. No, she seems perfectly happy. Yeah, yeah, and she hasn't, uh, she's still on board. So, also, uh, also yeah. like, it's interesting with the Big Finish thing, because we're kind of friendly with them and everything. And, you go, and we, we've now started going to uh, science fiction conventions where you meet all the people from that world and it's a massively supportive sort of business you know everyone in it and everyone working in it they all kind of I mean when we go to the conventions it's just like an excuse for a big kind of you know party really I was going to say booze up yeah <laughs> um, well I, I wrote some Doctor Who's uh, for them and, and Barney Edwards who's in your show directed <coughs> my latest one so oh, right. it, it was all very right linked in as mm -hmm. it were but but Sophie's definitely uh, up for it and very happy doing it because uh, and she's, she's she really obviously doesn't mind people taking the piss slightly because uh, we there's a piece that Simon's put in our in our wormhole which is if you go on to strangersinspace.com you can actually um, you can buy a little exclusive uh, exclusive peek into behind the scenes stuff that we're doing it's called the wormhole and Simon's done some amazing work putting in some he, he often carries have you got your flip camera now I haven't forgot well, you could have done it now. You uh. anyway Simon will often get his flip camera out. And, and do make little um, great little videos which you can watch in in the wormhole. But one of them is of uh, when we work with um, a Rufus Hound for episode two. Rufus came along and uh, and he did this just fantastic thing where he just talked to Sophie for well it was, it was a good five minutes where he just talked stream of consciousness, just saying that how fantastic we were and that her Saturday morning show was shit basically. Yeah, well, yeah because just, so Sophie did something just... called Wow on ITV. <laughs> And he's just going, it's shit. I've never heard of it. It's shit. <laughs> and she sat there. She really plays along with it. You know, it's all credit to her for that. So, yeah, she's, she's quite happy to be sent that. Which, which reminds me as well, we've, we've had a chance to work with some fantastic people on Strangeness in Space. We've been so... It's really thrilling to get people who are happy to kind of do stuff with you. Like, Rufus was, you know, more than happy. He, I mean, he first uh, uh, retweeted something, and then I just got in touch with him and said, do you want to be in it? And he was like, yeah, definitely. Um, and we've had kind of people like uh, Peter Guinness is in episode two, who is, uh, you may not know the name, but he's a kind of fantastic British actor that you'll have seen in loads of things. Like he was Alien. in Alien 3. Prometheus. Uh -huh, uh, Sleepy Alien. Hollow. Was he in Prometheus? No, You're just might. making that up. <laughs> It's the same uh, film. <laughs> um, Carol Cleveland, who, you know, is effectively the only female Monty, member of the Monty Python team. And that was a complete fluke. I mean, we needed someone for a really small part. And... Uh, Sophie just went, well, oh, I can see if Carol Cleveland fancies doing it. And we're going, what? <laughs> and, you know, she came along and did this small part for us, and it's great to have in there. And, of course, our narrator, um, the narrator for uh, the series uh, Bounty Flightingale, is she's called, which is one of those names that Zoe, my wife, is insisting she made up. Yeah, yeah. So I suppose you have to give, okay. Yeah, I so, suppose. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> and uh, Dune McKicken's playing her. And that's just fantastic to get Dune in it as well. Yeah. I mean, we were friends with Dune at university, but she's just, I mean, so funny. And I, do any of you watch Toast? Have you seen Toast? I just love her in that. I love her in anything she does. She's but that's very my funny. favorite. Yeah. No, it's exciting. It's nice to be able to write. Um, 
uh, yeah, to write stuff for other people again as well, you know, and then giving them daft things to say. So it's, it's, it really is good fun. And having such talented performers means that the jokes sound even funnier. <laughs> <laughs> and we mentioned earlier about, you know, um, double acts. No, falling out and hating each other. I was sort of half hoping you would not have spoken to for like 20 years. Who, or me and Simon? Yeah, yeah. But it's not <laughs> no. that you're still mates and you we, hang out and, you know. It's well, that's how it worked. I mean, we started off making each other laugh as mates and it wasn't a cynical thing of, oh, you know, let's go into comedy and do a double act. It just happened because we were mm -hmm. mates. And, and like I said at the time, there was a bunch of other mates that just thought we'd do it for a laugh. We ended up, you know, carrying on, but have carried on being friends. We lived on the same street at one point in Peckham. Uh, you know, that didn't work out. It well, didn't, no, it wasn't a good idea. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, no, we've always. I like the idea that, um, and I think I think it's true in the case of. I think there was there was a period in Cannon and Ball's life where they maybe didn't get on too well, and yet they carried on touring. So they always stayed in different hotels. So wherever they were, they'd stay in a different hotel. And I just like the idea that you could extend that so that if we didn't get on, we could kind of stay in different hotels and perform in different theatres even. <laughs> yeah. Have some satellite link up. <laughs> the thing is with touring and with comedy, there is a lot of time where you're, we're just in our, in our own company. So thankfully being mates, and as you've told, as you can tell, we've sat here for however long listening to us talk rubbish. We will talk rubbish forever together as well. So we, we never there really was only one time. There was only one time when it went really sour and, you know, oh God, did have a kind of chance of turning nasty and that's when Trev developed an obsession with pitch and put <laughs> and so wherever we went his only thing every day was let's find a pitch and put thing and I'm thinking oh I can't bear it pitch you loved put. it really oh it's like you, have you ever played a pitch and put it's like golf we, like, see how rock and roll we are. We'd be on tour. Hey, where's the pitch and putt course? Come I on, let's get out. The pitch and putt was like crazy. I can do crazy <laughs> golf. This pitch and putt thing, it'd be hundreds of yards. <laughs> I'm sorry, I've never told you this until now. I, I didn't know you were so upset by it. Could all go horribly wrong. <laughs> oh, no. Um, I, I must, uh, we're running out of time, and I must throw out to the audience. So, anybody in the audience got a burning question for Trev or Simon, please? <laughs> Contain yourself. <laughs> yeah, don't, don't all rush at once. <laughs> go on. Okay. Yes, Jim. Is there? There is. <laughs> what? Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Well, um, yeah, because we it, when we were, I suppose, yeah, towards the end of Live and Kicking, they were, they had their. Um, well, I can't remember how they it all went they round. Did, they definitely came on the show anyway, didn't they? They came and on we... the show because they were PJ and Duncan. Yeah. So we did uh, we did sketches with them as PJ and Duncan because at that point, because oddly enough, there was never an overlap. When we finished doing Saturday Morning was when SMTV Live started. So we were actually never on air on Saturday Morning TV at the same time. There was no... I think that's fairly... True. We finished in '97, and I think SMTV Live started in '97. So you know, um, there was not. Yeah, when we did meet them, it was in their alter ego from Grange Hill. And they came along and did joined in like any other guests would, I suppose. In then very graciously joined in and were good fun and and did whatever <laughs> nonsense we asked them to do. And uh, the only the, my only memory of a sketch, and I can't remember what they were doing, but they were in the same sketch that also had. Sophie Dahl in it and this was just when she must have been very young and just first I don't even know if she was a model then as such or if she was on for some writing thing but all I can remember is for some reason she in this sketch she sat there polishing a big 10 pin bowling ball <laughs> I don't know why <laughs> no <laughs> um, <laughs> 
Well, it was towards the end of the run there, wasn't it? <laughs> <laughs> we were running out of ideas. I, I should go in, in case Anne and Dex saw us. It wasn't Grange Hill. It was Biker Grove. Oh, sorry. <laughs> Grange Hill. Sorry, Jill. yeah. Because <laughs> they're quite powerful yeah, okay. in TV. Yeah. I want to work, you know. <laughs> <laughs> but, so, um, so about another, another double. Like we, we're going full circle about, about Rick and, and certainly Aid. There was a, there was a, a moment on um, one of the episodes when you when Rick and Aid were touring <laughs> Boston God. live, weren't oh, they? Oh, that's horrible. And that's it, on YouTube. No, but but, but yeah. what, was that genuine or was that... Was no, that genuine. Was it really, really was. Because yeah, yeah. really they weren't being... Rick, Rick's looking really pissed off at yeah, one point, yeah, isn't yeah. Yeah. Well, I think, you know, we were a couple of upstarts who just said, hey, Rick and Aid, let's do... We're on a level with you. We're both going out on tour we've both got the same promoter so hey let's do a really funny sketch together and I think they were going we're not having this <laughs> so so they said yeah yeah we'll do it we're, yeah we'll do it and then yeah. they didn't <laughs> and then they basically it's one of, the, it's one of those few things thing. where, where it, it yeah it's not the best YouTube clip it's a bit like the Tim will fix it one there's certain <laughs> clips on YouTube where you think like oh I wasn't why, really, did, yeah. why I did I why did I go and do that yeah. Jimmy Savile impression on Saturday yeah. Morning TV but, you know. why did we do that sketch with Gary Glitter oh dear Anyway, but no, but having, having, what a way to end. Having, having known that, that Rick was a mate of yours, I thought it was a sort of like in almost like a, a Zen moment that you were just going for this thing and, and just you know really doing a good acting performance, but obviously not. Yeah, let's go with it. That. Was, we'll <laughs> go with that. In that it that's how I see it. I see yeah. that now as, as yeah. that. But uh, yeah, anyway, so, it was very cleverly. Uh, acted. What, what, I mean, what did you do on the live? Obviously, I guess you just did the characters from from TV. Did you when you went out on the road with it? Yeah, yeah, we did. Yeah. Um, when we went on tour, we would do the characters and we would have other guests with us. The first time we toured, we had um, a band, uh, a female trio, soul singers, a juggler, um, Paul Morocco was the juggler, and they would all do stuff while we were changing costumes. Then, in later My tours, wife won't let me forget that one, because she came to see the first show, which was in Southport. With oh, all the one that went It was four hours. hours long. <laughs> we hadn't rehearsed it. We hadn't done... Well, we had rehearsed oh. it, our bits, but we hadn't put the whole show together. So, And our manager at the time, he said, come on, we've got to, let's go on the road. Let's do this kind of let's bring old back old music hall variety yeah. back variety. Yeah. We're going to have pop. We're going to have comedy. Show. And it was you know all credit to him. It was a fantastic show, but it was four <laughs> hours long. Giving Ken Donovan for his money. <laughs> yeah, it was but amazing. In, um, in later years, we then uh, a friend of ours, Paul Brophy, would come on between us doing, and he played when we did the Popfish tour. So we had these characters, uh, uh, Mick McMax and Moon Monkey, who were sponsored by Popfish, Britain's uh, number one instant fish snack in a pot. Well and, done. He was the he was the um, representative for Popfish, wasn't he? And he would yes. do stuff in between. Yeah. Um, we came up with all different ways because we had to go off and get changed. So we had to find different ways of doing it. And then towards the end, we actually then showed some of our sketches on video because by then you could do that. When we first started, obviously that, that technology wasn't there. So uh, that's when we had to have all the different acts with us, which was good fun. It was great fun going out on tour with a, with two bands and a juggler and all that. We did the, one of the clips you showed was the world of the strange. And we did a World of the Strange clip on tour. Oh, theatres all around the country, just sort of old kind of proscenium arch uh, Victorian theatres. And we had a cabinet. And basically one of the World of the Strange characters, I think it was me, yeah, me, I'd get into the cabinet and then we'd do this thing of, of he'd vanish and then I'd reappear in the balcony of the theatre. So literally it'd be a case of like, that was just ridiculous, just racing around this theatre to get somewhere back for about two minutes later. Sometimes finding a doors locked along the way or whatever and having to find another route. And what I liked is when the dummy, when, when, when I reappeared, we had this really bad dummy of me, didn't we, in the cabinet? Yeah, it was great. I used to love doing that. It was, yeah, it was, yeah, I think the old theatre thing was, was something that appeals to us a lot. You know, 
Would you go on the road with Strangers in Space, for example? That could be a, a thing. Well, someone oh. suggested it. What was it? Someone suggested the other. I can't remember how it came along. At about the it. risk of sounding Sean Connery like, never say never. <laughs> it's, like, it's one of those things, isn't it? It's not like I would consider anything really. How we yeah. do it is a real challenge because, of course, one of the joys of doing an audio podcast is that in it, me and Trevor, 27 years old, <laughs> yeah. and we have hair. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, we it have would hats be quite now, though. It's okay. You can do hats. <laughs> but, um, it would be you... quite a complicated thing. I, I did think, once be... have an idea that what we should do, this would be a good Edinburgh show, is do a kind of going live, live and kicking Edinburgh show where two young people play us and they do all of our sketches and we direct it. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that's a good that idea. could happen. <laughs> I was going to say because, because can they write it as well? <laughs> <laughs> no, no, nothing is, is, is gets people more misty eyed than, than than children's TV they loved as a kid, do they? I mean, you must have people in, you know coming up in, of, of, in their thirties or early forties who just adored you and still do. You're, you're an important part of you know all our lives, really. So, I mean, is, is that is that quite a, a, a lot of baggage to hold or not? It's very uh, humbling. I don't know. It's very. It's it's uh, like. Uh, it, I mean, it's lovely, you know. And obviously, if p people kind of remember what we did fondly, that's great, you know. It's always very, um, yeah, it's great to hear. It, is, it does amaze me, actually, that people, uh, not, I know I, I joke about this, but that people do remember and they, and they still remember. And, and, I've, and I forget because we started such a long time ago <laughs> and then it was on for quite a long time. Then people who were very, very young at the time, um, you know, obviously, kind of adults now, and 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 can tell stories of what they used to do, watching and how much they enjoyed it. And it is lovely to hear that. And um, and of course, the people who were who were older then and now probably no longer with us. <laughs> no, it's been that long. No, it's great. No, it just means there's a huge generation of, of people that are. are oh, very that reminds kind me. In. We were going to talk about when we met Frankie Howard. Talking to people no longer Please. with us. Yeah. And there we go. Um, <laughs> oh There's always time for Frankie Howard here. Go on. Well, Frankie Howard was, um, and this would have been, uh, well, obviously early 90s because he died in 92. But um, he came on the show and he was not very well. And we'd written a sketch to do with him, which was a kind of up Pompeii style sketch acceptable for a kid's audience. Which is hard work, I think. But we, I don't think it was um, acceptable on any um, level. And he just came on and he was really not well. And he said, I can't, I, you know, I don't think I can do the sketch. And then he said, but can I take you both out for lunch afterwards? And we just sort of went like, yeah, you know. <laughs> and we were going around to all the kind of, all the production team going, Frankie Howard's taking us out for lunch. And they're all kind of like going, oh, you know, and kind of <laughs> warning us. And we were thinking, what do you want about? Um, and I mean, he took us out for lunch and it was a lovely lunch. And what, you know, there was no... Uh, you know, okay, so we were told of all these rumours that he tries on with us and whatever, but he didn't, so <laughs> maybe we should be insulted by that. <laughs> he was very, very he impressive. He and took very, us very, out for a yeah. lovely lunch, and it was fantastic, because we sat with Frankie Howard in his favourite restaurant for about three hours, <laughs> during which, shockingly, they brought him his own bottle of vodka, and he pretty much got through the bottle of vodka, didn't he? <laughs> he did. But it was fantastic, the stories we heard from him. There was one weird bit where... Because he was talking about even, I think he even sort of worked with or had some connection very early on with Max Sennett. You know, there are these amazing stories. Um, but there was one period where we, maybe for about 20 minutes, we kind of looked to each other, didn't we? Because he'd, he'd obviously hit a level of drinking where for 20 minutes we didn't understand a word he said. <laughs> And then we 20 minutes later, anyway. he was completely lucid again. Yeah. And he went through this kind he of He was weird... back in the room, wasn't he? And it was all fine, <laughs> it was all good. But that's yeah, fantastic. Yeah, that was... Years back, we'd been see... we'd seen him live quite a few times, hadn't we? And we yeah. even at uh, Buxton Opera House, we queued up to get his autograph. Yeah. 
No, yeah. that was a, it was a treat. Yeah, it was mm -hmm. good. And I say it's a treat for 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 me to see you back on TV. Sometimes when you do pointless or when you're the big wow, pointless. Stuff. I mean, that's you know, pointless is pretty didn't cool Simon do, do well on pointless? See, <laughs> 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 that's where double act really pays off. I had to. I had to. That was um, we were on pointless <laughs> celebrities. We've done it twice now. And the first time we went out in the second round, but we were invited back. <laughs> and I said to Trev, we've got to do this. Because, I mean, I, I may be more than Trev. I'm just a massive fan of quiz <sighs> shows. And in particular, that one. I think, you know, the dynamic between uh, uh, Richard and um, what, uh, Xander. <laughs> Richard and Judy. I was going to say Alexander, <laughs> Xander. Anyway, you know what I mean. Yeah. What's his name? Mighty Mouse. Um, <laughs> The dynamic Danger is fantastic. Danger Mouse. <laughs> so, oh, yeah, from Grange Hill. Yes. <laughs> he knows his stuff, Simon. <laughs> Can you believe I got any questions well, right? it's brilliant. <laughs> anyway, yeah, we won, uh, we won uh, Celebrity Pointless, which was fantastic. I mean, out of all the comedy stuff you can do, there's certain things that are just kind of real highlights, and I love that. And we managed to, you know, get uh, money as well for charities that in both instances were particularly close to our hearts so it was, it was a great experience it was good but I, I didn't I really didn't want to do either of them I, I find it absolutely terrifying I don't know why but I just do you know and uh, but Simon said no I really want to do it It'd be good so I thought well I can't not I know knew how much he loved the show so I had to go along and um and you know the first the first performance was pretty disastrous, and the second one, you know, I think I probably did okay. But Simon was, is very good at that kind of thing. But in the final round, <laughs> well, basically we'd had to have seen the film uh, World's End, which I hadn't, and um, we 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 had to have watched the Comedy Awards that that year, which I hadn't, and um, oh, had to know Mr. Bean things. Mr. Bean episodes. Yeah. Fortunately, Simon had seen World's End, and uh, and so there was this great bit which they cut out because it looks like we're talking it went on for about five minutes while, <laughs> while I was going I haven't a clue I haven't seen anything <laughs> and Simon was just going well this was in this was Paddy Considine bing and that was the, that was it, it was and then bizarrely Paddy Considine was watching so he put on Twitter um, wow I'm a pointless answer on uh, point, you know I'm pointless and I kind of sent a Twitter message to him to thank him and then a few, about a week later, I was having a meeting with a comedian friend of mine, uh, Ben Norris, and um, Bruce, Claire's husband, and we were working on an idea together. And at the end of it, Ben said, oh, there's this thing on. Oh, I think Bruce said, we went off to see this comedy thing. And it was um, Brian Gittins doing a kind of trial, a sort of spoof uh, game show. And we went in there and we turned up to it. And his special guest for it was Paddy Considine. And... I just sort of saw him in the corner and thought, this is weird. And, and I thought, I've got to go over and say hello. And I went over to say hello, and he just immediately got up and went, Simon! <laughs> that was a really great moment, you know, because he's such a fantastic actor. And then he, uh, he reenacted the scene from a scene from Dead Man's Shoes on stage. So he had a script for it. So I got him to sign the script to my wife, Zoe, because she likes him. But she's never seen Dead Man's Shoes. And then I put the script inside the uh, DVD of Dead Man's Shoes, and then forgot about it. And about two months later or so, we went round to our friends Ben and Sarah's and we all planned to watch it. And Zoe was kind of really freaked out going like, I was going, you put the DVD and you do it. And she's gone, why do I have to do it? And it was just all building up to this thing so she could open the case and in there was uh, an autograph for a, a signed script. Sorry, that was a bit of an indulgent <laughs> long story, wasn't it? <laughs> is, there, is there one last question? We're running out of time, but one more question. Yes, sir. Yep. Ah, oh, no. <laughs> I, I, I would no love idea. to say yes. 
I would I would love to say yes because I've kind of um I, going back to when DVDs first came around and everyone was doing extras and commentaries and whatever, you can tell we, you know, we'll talk. So, you know, I'd, I'd <laughs> happily talk, do things like that. Yeah. And I would love to have them out on DVD, but it's just really tricky. I don't even know if we know who owns them. I don't know how we would get kind of... The, it's really it's boring just, stuff, isn't it? The, 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 it's all to do and with unless BBC we can get, and, and stuff. And unless we can get a distributor interested who will put it out there, yeah. it's just something... So it's something we would love to do. Yeah. It would, if at you home. know anyone, <laughs> let us know. <laughs> Maybe that's the yeah. way. I know at home in my office, or, or some people call it a junk room, there's like a kind of uh, um, like a tower of videos that, that, my, that my mum gave me that, because my dad used to record every Saturday morning and he's got them all, basically. So I've got videotapes, you know, three hours long. So there'll be stuff there that didn't make the video, we didn't make the stuff, which is probably a good thing they didn't make, but there'll be some stuff that could be really, it'd be nice to go in and pick out, cherry pick some of the stuff that we like and put out. But uh, it's, yeah, I don't know, I'm not even yeah. sure whether I've got a video anymore to watch them on. But, See, yeah. I found out this today about the fact this pile of tapes, and that excites me because the BBC would not have kept those shows in yeah. their entirety. There's certainly clips on YouTube and there's there's remnants that I've got and other friends of mine have got, but to think there's there's whole archives of, of, of complete shows is yeah. very exciting. Yeah. So keep on to those and more. We'll, but we'll, I don't have a video player Well, now. I have a video player. Oh. And, uh, <laughs> okay, I'll we, bring we, them out to We can talk. <laughs> do, you have, do you have a way of converting I, them I do from indeed, one thing to DVD. To, yes, go. absolutely. And I can talk to the, the, the British Film Institute who will be interested about that too. I'm not, not, I'm not joking. I mean, you know, 20, 25-year-old TV, live television is really rare. Ah. Uh, so look after them. Okay, I will. <laughs> oh, now I'm scared now. And hopefully, uh, <laughs> They're under that bit where it's leaking in the <laughs> roof as well. <laughs> you just bringing this up now hopefully could be the start of trying to look into eventually getting them out on DVD because that would be good. Mm -hmm. Well, please thank my guest, Trev and Simon. Thank you so much. <laughs> thank, thank you. you. <laughs> thank, you. <laughs> thank you for listening. This podcast was recorded live in front of an audience at the Museum of Comedy, Bloomsbury, London. Museum of Comedy dot com.